You're listening to Queering there on 3CR radio station. Presenting and producing this program today is Devana. Today's guest is Janelle De Silva, um, who's an art therapist, marathon runner, director, producer, actor, and former um, media presenter. She has been in the professional arts and entertainment industry for 20 years. She got a big break to co-host a live music and television program, Recovery. Janelle then acted and presented on Ch- Channel 9, Channel 10, the BBC, and co-hosted live arts events. After studying at the National Theatre in St Kilda, she continued on to a graduate diploma in the experiential and creative arts therapy. Inflamed by her education, she produced Birthing the Mother, a six-week body-centered program of people that identified as women. In 2016, Janelle formed Cherry Pop Productions and began We Off the Night. This presented emerging and established artists in Geelong and Surf Coast region and engaged the local community to support the arts and promoted socially conscious projects. She also started a philanthropic project called the Run Bitch Run campaign and raised money by running marathons for the Kathy Freeman Foundation. In 2017, she directed, produced and performed three original projects in the Melbourne Fringe Festival. This year, she's focusing on a one-person show, Franganistan. Did I say that right? You did. Franganistan. <laughs> okay. Janelle is a queer intersectional feminist and a fiercely auto- autonomous creative. She's a passionate advocate for social change through the arts. Hi, Janelle. Hello, Devena. Thanks for coming for Queering the Arts. So I'm really interested in your last name, Da Silva. Mm-hmm. It's pronounced with the A as opposed to a D. Can you tell me a little about, a bit about the origins of your name? Absolutely. And about your parents' history in Pakistan as well? Sure. Uh, yeah, it's interesting, you know, I've been dealing with the little vowels my whole life, the D-E or the D-A, and, and generally everyone thinks that it's De Silva. And uh, as you know, De Silva is Sri Lankan. And Da Silva, D-A, is Portuguese. Yeah, they're both Portuguese, actually. Yeah, but yeah. The, pronou- the intonations are different, I think. That's correct. So, yeah. So, it comes from my Portuguese um, side of the family, which is half of my father. The other half of him or quarter of him is English and the other quarter is Indian. And he was born in Pakistan. And mum's full Chinese and she was born in Pakistan as well. And then what happened to them then? What happened after that? <laughs> what happened after that was because my mum's parents, the Chinese parents who were living in Pakistan, were quite revolutionary. They were an arranged marriage themselves and they decided they wanted their children to marry for love. And um, they had already changed their religion from Buddhism to Catholicism so that their kids were able to have a uh, more liberated education in Pakistan. So they, uh, my my mum and her family, her siblings were raised as Catholics. Um, so by the time they all came of age and they were all young adults and they had their partners that they were wanting to marry, they were all looking at um, immigration. So it was either um, England, Australia or Canada that they were looking for. The three top ones. That's still, right. Still are three top ones. <laughs> That's right. And it was uh, Australia was the first country to uh, want to uh, sponsor the whole family. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, it's changed, isn't it? Hasn't it? The immigration kind of landscape. Um, Absolutely. It was It was during the White Australia policy, actually, that this, my family... That your family came in. Mm-hmm. What were they sponsored for? What kind of work? Um, well, they. my uncle, who was very clever, he was the one that came out here first. He actually manipulated the system in a positive way. <laughs> he learned how to work the system, which was that he, he said 
to the Catholic parish priest that he had his whole family here uh, over in Pakistan and he wanted to bring them over. So the parish priest went to uh, the – he was the local member of parliament for liberals and um, oh, his name escapes me right now, but he was the defence minister at the time. Okay. Or the minister for defence. And um, and he he sponsored the Leo family to come out. So, wow. Um, yes, On unfortunately. What sorry. On what basis? Uh, you said I. I haven't asked my uncle Joe the basis, other than that, um, like his industry that he was working in was printing and publishing. Um, but no, I don't. I don't know what the basis is. It's a good question. I will ask him. Um, and I do know that my family are devout liberal voters now, like all of them, which, you know, despite whatever's going on, whatever policies are happening, yeah. they still vote liberal. That's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so I really want to talk about your time at the ABC, which you got into when you were 21. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they take people that young anymore. <laughs> no, look, it was, yeah, jeez. This is really amazing. It's such an achievement. Um, and you described your experience as flying by the seat of my pants and cutting my teeth. So I'm not really, I don't really understand Australian vernacular. <laughs> Can you explain to me what you meant? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, another term of phrase, which you might have heard, was that I was very green. No. What, what, does that mean naive? Yes. Okay. Yes. So green <laughs> meant that I was unexperienced. I had no, I had absolutely no skill, really. I just had a lot of talent and a lot of passion. And uh, and also I looked different. Like literally the executive producer told me that I got the role because I looked exotic but I spoke like a bogan. <laughs> that's such a dichotomy as well. That's like a really – that's a big pe- – wow. I can't believe he – was he a man? Did he oh, actually, no, it was a woman. I mean she said that to your face. She did. and That is so weird. Who would come and say that you're exotic and that you sound like a bogan? I know. And I didn't know how to take it to be honest. I was so young and impressionable. But I was, I was, you know, I was honestly straight out of Frankston. So <laughs> I thought, great, all right, I'd used it to my advantage. I, yeah. I, it's something I did learn was the vernacular of how to speak bogan. And, uh, and that got me my first break on telly. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I'm just, I'm pretty shocked, to be honest. Um, and then what are some important skills that you learned at the ABC? You mentioned yeah. that you had to work really hard. They didn't care who you were, what you did just had to be very diligent. Yeah, so flying by the seat of my pants was was the fact that my learning curve was, you know, 180 degrees. I was just every day it was it was a it was an absolute pleasure to come to work and you know, I loved working walking past comedy in the morning and seeing Sean McAuliffe working and saying g'day and it was so inspirational for me and um basically as a presenter it meant that I was also producing my my show uh my what I saw with the with my colleagues from ABC is that they just didn't stop working. They just, <laughs> you know, colleagues? didn't, it had nothing to do with money. It had nothing mm, to do with just very passionate contacts. Yeah. It was the fact that they had, um, they were unwilling to, to say no. They just kept going. They just kept going. That's so that's incredible. what I would, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what I've taken away is that, and you know, my life's gone a whole different way, but mm. I've been really happy with my choices in that I've not stopped as well. But I've just been going a different way. You haven't. You haven't stopped. Really. <laughs> and we'll get to that as well. Um, something I'd like to talk about quickly before we go on to another song is your average day. 
Um, I got this impression that you're very busy, that you're always squeezing in as much as possible. Um, it sounds really hectic. How do you manage everything? <laughs> Funnily enough, I was and talking. And having so many children as well. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to my husband this morning on the way to the to three um, CR, and he was saying that I live my life like I pack my wardrobe, I shove things in. Uh, <laughs> oh I'm a shover, um, but I'm just a creative packer and. Look, my my day consists of generally I'll wake up before sunrise and um, generally I'll go for a run and because I live by the ocean and it's incredible. And, yeah, I find I can get when – I, when I start the day and the sun rises for me, mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just quite an incredible experience. You get a lot of energy from the sun and the ocean. You do. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so – That's right, yeah. And, I, and, and naturally as an artist I like to – you know, I'm nocturnal – so, are you? Do you oh, have insomnia? Look, to be honest, about three, well, it was May the 12th, 2015, <gasps> I stopped eating sugar and I stopped eating chocolate. Okay. Because I wanted to, I wanted to commit to being an artist in the daytime and not just the nighttime. Okay. Yeah, because I'm so, my whole life I've created at night and I just knew I'm hitting an age where if I don't start <laughs> looking after my adrenals, um, you know, this is where you start to get health problems. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm in my 40s now. So, yeah. yeah, I wanted to start to see what it was like on the other side when you um, use your art in the day. <laughs> <laughs> so you get up early in the morning, you go for your run, and then what do you get up Oh, then there's next? children and, um, <laughs> you know, and then so that takes, it's like two hours of power and they all get to school <laughs> And and then my days are very they're varied. Um, I work for myself, so it can be anything from meetings to um, life modelling or art therapy. Um, it can be performing, it can be writing, it can be producing, it can event management, all of the back end of stuff that goes on. Yeah, um, yeah, for performances. So it's like the nitty gritties of being and uh, being an basically in, involved in the art industry, which no one talks about. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the boring, tedious stuff, and you know, and also <laughs> you know, moving through resistance to self promote. Yeah, like that. That you know, depending on the day or where I am in my cycle, yeah. my menstrual cycle, you know, I can be bothered. You know, putting myself out there as if I'm fantastic. I you know, know and it's, it's a big thing in Australia. They really want you to self promote, and people. People want to see you self-promote as well. It's very strange. It is interesting. Yeah, yeah. it is. It's difficult. And at the same – so there's there's a certain level of humility <laughs> that I like to have, like a groundedness. And yeah. I think when, I, um, when I'm eating right, when I'm sleeping well enough and when I'm exercising, mm. I have that kind of – and when I cut sugar out of my life, I started to notice that I wasn't – having these spikes, spikes yeah. yeah and I was able to have a little bit more um foresight and mental stability <laughs> yeah. Yeah. which is good as an artist you know yeah well, you need that I agree <laughs> um so now we're just going to go to a quick song this is Egyptian Fantasy by Sydney injustice so tell me why you chose YouTube when you have all of these media connections like what does it have that a lot of bigger media programs do not have. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, firstly, um, Injustice is a project for the people. It is a platform for anyone to speak out about how the system has failed them or they've fallen through the cracks or that there is a discrepancy in the way 
uh, justice is, was or is being served for them. Um, so basically it's an opportunity for people to be heard and it's a safe platform and I'm working alongside um, – so I'm, I'm generally – my position is as host uh, and – I have a level of co-producing, but really it is the director, Lee, who comes from Frankston. <laughs> um, she's steering the ship. And, um, yeah, she's. She, we met at the start of the year. I auditioned for the role and and it was straight away. I mean, we both have – we're both along the same lines. And so um, we find YouTube is the most powerful platform and the most accessible platform internationally. Because uh, we really want to be able to, to not just touch on what's happening in our country, but we want to be able to speak to everyone mm. around the world. Mm. Yeah. Do you think it it helps if you're like a young producer or presenter, particularly if you're interested in TV and video, to kind of like kickstart your own YouTube program before you get that Channel 9 or Channel 10 gig? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I look at my kids and I think... I just think, oh, you've got so much opportunity and you're so lazy because <laughs> it's all there for them. Had I been able to create my own channel mm. when I was their age, I would have been all over it um, because, you know, all of those hours that you spend in front of the mirror with your hairbrush <laughs> talking to it about, you know, issues and all of those creative, amazing things that you do, mm. um, kids can do now. And it's not that and I... And be seen and be promoted. Ab- absolutely. And I'm not, yeah, you know, interesting. Having said that, there is that other dichotomy of me. You know, I raise my kids in Stein education. I've got a big bone to pick about how technology is, is enforced for, on kids at too young an age before their their brain and their imagination has developed to a point where they're ready for that all of the, the wiring that goes on with using technology. So there is that aspect of things. However, um, YouTube and social media as a platform to get yourself out there as an artist I think is is just amazing. It's, it's there for the taking and uh, I would encourage everyone to just create their own work. Yeah, and it's like all of these kind of inaccessible things like you know shooting your own radio program or shooting your own um video show reality show even it's like very diy now you can just do it very easily it's not as complex and you don't have to be taught absolutely so like we're in the age of like self-learning and diy which i really like um it's like the return of punk culture but for the mainstream <laughs> yeah yeah it's um, incredible what you can get out of a phone like yeah you can do so much with the phone mm. like journalists live blog now and they live tweet and that's that's what's accepted mm-hmm. um i'd also like to talk a little bit about what you feel like mainstream media is not covering and what you think <laughs> grassroots like journalists or grassroots presenters should be looking into and exploring like you have injustice for example mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what would you like to see more of as someone who's been in the media? Oh, you know, um, well, firstly, it, I mean, if we take it right back, the corporations sell through fear. Like mm. news is built on fear. And um, and so to me, I feel like, you know, and even when I was studying uh, business, you know, way, 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 way back and learning about public relations, the first thing I learned was about psychology and how you you basically – affect people's psychology through fear and that was the strongest platform for selling and marketing and news making um this was 20 years ago almost 25 years ago now Mm. so um I suppose I've looked at media through those lenses my whole life and noticed how more and more mainstream is becoming 
uh, affected and and um, compartmentalized, and people their intolerances, particularly in our country, mm. are supported through the media. Yeah, you know, like it's great that that Waleed is is on what is it called on the the. Seven thirty or the project. I don't watch TV, so I'm oh not yeah. Sure. So there's a there's a brown guy on t- on telly, and yeah. he was he was incredible. I used to listen to him on Triple R um, <laughs> because he was so outspoken. There's one brown man on mainstream um, <laughs> news yeah. in, in inverted commas. Um, you know, I, I would love to see when we when we talk about grassroots roots journalism. I'd love to see uh, more aspects of marginalised. Um, society mm. being given voice, yeah, um, you know, and there's issues that are consistently overlooked all the time. Uh, let's just start with with Indigenous, with our Australian Indigenous people, and and those um, consistent issues, and let alone housing and homelessness and domestic violence. You know, let, yeah, you know, there's so anyway. Mm. It's a big question, Devena, and I yeah, I don't feel no, like but I, I feel can, like. Journalism is moving away from big corporations towards citizen. It's called citizen journalism now, mm-hmm. so it's more like community-led and run. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot more issues that were previously like untouched or unseen or um, just like swept under the carpet because they wouldn't sell are like now coming coming forth, and you can access them a lot more easier as well. So that's really interesting. Um, let's talk about bedtime stories for adults now. <laughs> um, you directed this. Tell us a little bit about this. And you, you quoted saying, I want the audience to leave feeling good about being in their own skin. I see the show as a safe, sensual and sovereign doorway for the public to have an immersive experience of depth, beauty and diversity of eroticism in the arts. That's such a beautiful description. Thank you. Yeah, um, I'm pretty passionate about it. I feel like there's quite a um, a gap between uh, a place for audiences to experience eroticism in a free, queer, safe, empowering way. Um, there there definitely are leaders um, and mentors already forging ways forward in our country. However, I, I believe that it's quite – it's still on the fringe. And raising young people as well and seeing them and how the porn industry has affected them mm. as uh, as young adults, you know, that's, that's quite concerning for me. So – yeah, erotic bedtime stories for adults was something that oh, I suppose has been drumming around in my mind and my heart for a long time. And it was it was a dream come true last year, putting it together, absolutely. It was an absolute – it was so intense, <laughs> like, doing it. But, you know, it was an incredible first season. Yeah, yeah. and it's coming back. It is coming back, absolutely. Yeah, I'm so excited. Yeah, so my co-producer, Tonya Field, uh, so we have a company called Revolvolution and Revolvolution will be remounting erotic bedtime stories, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. And this is where you met Creatrix, is that right? Creatrix, yes, yeah, yeah. So we met, like, there was inc- there was lots of incredible queer artists that we met and it was about timing, you know, because we did it during the Fringe. Everybody was doing something. Mm. So it was mm. it was kind of a matter of who was available and there was even um, uh, Melbourne Fringe Festival coincides with the Oz Kink Fest. Mm. And so a lot of the kink artists were uh, were really busy and tied up and balancing both shows. So um, 